0: Life's aches and pains. We all experience them. So I'm excited that plus CBD relief is backed by popular demand. As you know, I'm big proponent of CBD to tonify the endocannabinoid system, a real breakthrough in herbal products. The CBD brand I take personally and recommend to my patients is Plus CBD from CB Sciences. Plus CBD's relief line of soft gels is the ideal way to help promote a healthy inflammatory response. Plus CBD relief is doctor formulated with recovery supporting ingredients including CBD, CBDA, and Levagen PEA, which has been found in clinical trials to relieve severe headache faster than ibuprofen. Relief soft gels help address minor everyday soreness, support joint function, and encourage recovery following strenuous activity. All Plus CBD products are backed by science with clinically researched active ingredients. To learn more and to order, visit pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman and use coupon code HOFFMAN30 for 30% off. That's pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman for Plus CBD's Relief Soft Gels. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and we're talking all things related to skin. There's a great new book uh, that uh, is just a wonderful rundown on uh, skin health. Uh, it includes you know, advice on lifestyle. We talked a little bit about that in part one, but also uh, we're going to talk about uh, topicals uh, you know, there's so many options out there. Uh, there are you know, many of them are very, very exotic uh, ingredients, very expensive. What is want you to get the most bang for your buck? The book tells you how, and also what procedures should you consider. There's some very innovative uh, procedures uh, that are now uh, being rolled out. And we'll consider some of those. But be- before we get to that, uh, Mark, I just want to talk. One of the things that we hear constantly about is collagen, 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 collagen. And, you know, how co- you know your skin's made out of collagen. So, you know, should you be putting a lot of, you know, like uh, in you, putting collagen in your bulletproof coffee every day? Is that going to make a difference?
1: Well, I get that question all the time. I-, I first have to dispel some people's ideas. And that is, if you think that that collagen knows exactly where to go in your body, and it's going to go and firm up your cheeks and your sagging jowls. Eh, you got another thing coming. Now, on the other hand, you know, obviously collagen is, we, it's, it's a big protein that we need in our bodies. It's composed of three amino acids. And if you eat meat, uh, you get those three amino acids. They're in your system and your body will make collagen as it needs to make okay, collagen,
0: like glycine, proline and something else.
1: And glycine. Yeah. Uh, anyway, and there's hydroxyproline, excuse okay. me, hydroxyproline. Okay. So so what happens is that that now, for example, vegetarians do not get hydroxyproline in their diet. Oh. So they are dependent upon the conversion of proline into hydroxyproline. Oh. And for that, they need both vitamin C and iron. So if you are a young uh, woman who's menstruating, who is a vegan um who is not going to uh take and eat a collagen source mm-hmm. uh from animals which are you know it comes from chicken or feet fi- uh, fish or uh beef um you probably really need to make sure your vitamin C and your iron stores are up there so that you can actually um convert that a, a, pro, a proline into hydroxyproline. So we now, can actually do a little patient
0: diagnosis on uh, some vegans who may be uh, deficient <laughs> in some of these elements.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's certainly a possibility. So the other thing that happens now, you know, I've had a little bit of a shift in
0: my thinking in
1: collagen, um, and the reason I've had that shift, first of all, when you look for a collagen supplement, find one that has some other stuff in it as well. Get it uh, with little zinc carnosine and some vitamin C and maybe there's some B vitamins so that you've uh, vitamin E. Uh, so you're getting a little bit more of a, of a potent mix. Now, where I think this does fit in uh, to a treatment regimen is that when you are wounding the skin and that wound can be from heat. From a needle micro needling, it can be from uh, a laser, uh, intense pulse light. It can be from cold. <clears throat> you are actually signaling the body to if, if if that wound gets down into the dermis where there's a the bioactivity, you are actually <clears throat> causing a reaction that says to the body, "Hey, we're mo- we're wounded here. Get." move in get all the resources we need and let's make new collagen we call that process neo collagen collagenesis. a uh, tough word to say but it, it is essentially the production of new collagen and new elastin so i my thinking has evolved on this so i'm thinking that when people get a fractional treatment either using a laser or ultrasound or they're using microneedling with RF, which is electrical energy. They are essentially, here's what happens, and this is fascinating. If you get heat into the dermis long enough, enough heat long enough, it denatures the collagen. In other words, the collagen unwinds and shortens and essentially dies off. Mm-hmm. And it then becomes the scaffold On which the body makes new collagen. Now your body can only make new collagen if it has the trace minerals that it needs, if it has the amino acids, if it has the blood flow. And so I think that there is a role for collagen, uh, in particularly in the setting of, of complementary treatments in which we're basically Intelligently and safely wounding the skin to direct the body's own healing resources, and I think having enough of the amino acids on board, uh, and particularly if you're not eating enough, if you're not eating beef, uh, if you're if you're eating fish and which has less in it, uh, and relying on eggs and, and whole grains and beans, it is not unreasonable to supplement with collagen.
0: Okay. Well, there you have it. Uh, there's also, you know, just a lot of dermatologists uh, simply prescribe retin-A. Uh, that, uh, you know, kind of reddens the skin, but, you know, it's a little bit of a uh, chemical peel. It's actually a, a synthetic form of vitamin A. Uh, what say you about retin-A, one of the more popular dermatology uh, gammas?
1: Yeah, well, let's look at the category. The category are called retinoids and retinoids are the, uh, these vitamin A precursors. Now, why do, why have they found such popularity in dermatology? And that is as you age, your skin takes longer and longer to turn over. So the skin is starting at the basal layer, the layer between the dermis and the epidermis, and you are creating new skin skin cells at that basal layer, and they eventually make it to the top, uh, and they slough off. That's the dead stratum corneum. Now, in an older person, that can take 45 days. In a young person, that that could be as quick as 15 to 20 days. So when you are using a retinoid, um, what happens is you are uh, speeding up the skin turnover, mm-hmm. hence the skin Get has a younger appearance. It is more vibrant. And now, the issue with that is that people are sensitive to these. So there's a whole spectrum of them from um, retinoids to retinols. And uh, so you can usually find something that works for you, although not everyone can tolerate retinoids. And usually what they do is put on a little tiny pea-sized uh, amount on their face at night, uh, put moisturizer over it. Uh, start off really slowly, maybe even once a week, twice a week. Move on up, and after a period of time, the skin does improve because the turnover is improved and the skin stimulation is improved. So it's a it's a real staple of many dermatologists. And there's lots and lots and lots of different uh, products and different concentrations. Uh, and again but some people still can't tolerate it it, it, it is drying it is irritating uh, but if they stick with it they will be able to enhance their skin turnover and that's what's so important
0: what about something that's called uh, vampire facials it involves uh, I believe <coughs> PRP uh, platelet rich plasma that's you know first you get some needling and then it, it, you, you get some blood drawn and it's spun down and you apply some of this serum onto your face Uh, does that have potential to rejuvenate skin?
1: Sure. Let's, Let's look at the overall category. Sure. The overall category has to do with growth factors and exosomes and regenerative factors that are produced by living cells. Okay, so they are divided into autologous, which are your cells, your growth factors, going from you treat it a little bit, and put back into you, to uh, allogeneic, which is someone else's growth factors. Mm-hmm. Now, these growth factors can come from an exosomes, which are very small messengers, like even smaller than growth factors, which are messengers that actually provide instructions for cells. So they're another category as well, we're hearing a lot about. So <clears throat> what happens is that tissues Placental tissue, mesenchymal stem cells that are from the bone marrow, platelets. And in this case, when you say PRP, you're talking about the growth factor that come from platelets. They are, in this case, they're taken from you. They're spun down. They're concentrated and they're re-injected or reapplied. Now they may be injected into your scalp for hair restoration or they may be uh, applied topically. And we see the same thing with with exosomes, although we're not harvesting them from you, we're harvesting them from a, a donor tissue, uh, which is then purified. Uh, and again, it could come from an umbilical stem cell. It, uh, it could come from cells that are in the bone marrow. It can come from platelets. There's many different kinds of cells. So, what you're doing there is you're trying to introduce the um, growth factors the, and the exosomes into the layer of the skin, the dermis, uh, whereby they can activate the skin to produce, you know, uh, these healing factors to produce more collagen, more elastin, more GAGs, etc. And, you know, I from what I've seen, um, certainly, there, there's a rationale for this. Now, the issue comes in that not all PRP is the same. Uh, you and I have older PRP than, uh, you know, uh, someone half our age.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I want to get the- my PRP from Kate Upton. You know, because she has got great skin. <laughs> can I can I can I, can I rage for that, or is that-
1: Yeah, you know, I, I I don't know her, but I, I think if any think of your listeners know, her. Uh, please, Justin you
0: Verlander. You know, see if that's okay with him. I don't know if, well, it's all right.
1: <laughs> so so, which is actually the rationale for why some of these growth factors are harvested from other people, purified, and then they're safe to use new. you now. So. Uh, the problem also with PRP is the amount that's taken out and the concentration, mm-hmm. uh, the amount uh, and how well it's concentrated. But, you know, certainly there have been this PRP is used in joints today. Orthopods use it all the time. It's mm-hmm. used in shoulders yep. knees, and knees, right? And, yeah. and, and it is used extensively in hair restoration. As well, so it's very common in a hair restoration procedure to have PRP done, um, and, and now increasingly there are some exosomes that are coming uh, from platelets or from uh, from umbilical uh, tissue that is purified, is frozen. Uh, these are live uh, uh, cells, and they are thawed and they can be applied uh, topically uh, where we get. Where we see a
0: who, excuse me, who, who offers who offers that kind of therapy? Because that sounds kind of uh, exotic. It doesn't sound like you are run of the mill dermatologist. No, it's it's really it,
1: it's not that exotic. It really is finding its way into mainstream okay. uh, aesthetic practices. So it's not exotic. What is a bit exotic and does sort of get the the visibility of the FDA elevated has to do with when you are injecting these things intravenously. Mm-hmm. Uh this then you have sort of crossed the line, I think. And and this is where there's heavy scrutiny. Uh you know there's you will see for example, you know, people saying or or, or even in joints where they're going to take exosomes and inject them in joints. I think uh we're pretty safe ground for topical use. Mm-hmm. Uh we're in pretty safe. I think there's decent uh uh research and good data on certainly on prp there's more coming out on exosomes but exosomes are kind of the wild west you know there's how are they from what tissue source how are they concentrated how are they purified are they stabilized how are they stabilized what's in them etc so I, I, we're, you know, I guess we. this all started off some years back with uh, one of my mentors, Richard Fitzpatrick, who was the founder of Skin Medica. And what he did was he took growth factors that he extracted and cultured and cultivated from fetal
0: foreskins. Now, it's not a great well, thought, that, fetal That foreskin. doesn't sound that appetizing. It does sound, uh, but that it was... Might, pre- I may, might preclude the use of uh, that technique for uh, Orthodox Jewish women. i'm
1: just saying well so the point being but that was the basis for skin medica and skin medica as their growth factors uh were based upon that now they've you know there's many sources but but all living tissue will throw off growth factors and if you culture cells in a tea tree dish these cells throw off their growth factors mm-hmm. as they grow into the conditioned media, the environment. And then you can take that and the exosomes mm-hmm. and purify that, concentrate it, purify it, uh, test it. It can be tested for all variety of things, uh, including infectious agents, uh, and uh and then that can help in the healing regenerative process. So I think there's a this entire category is called regenerative medicine. Mm-hmm. So let let me just let's take it one step further. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about autologous fat mm-hmm. transfer. Okay. So you got a little extra fat around your belly button. Yeah, because well, people we can get to build sort out. of
0: a hollowed out appearance. You know, they look gaunt as they get older. And, exactly. You know, that's, yeah. Exactly.
1: So what they can do is they can take their own fat, they treat it, they spin it down, they clean it up, they break it into smaller pieces usually and they inject it into the face or wherever now that fat does not live that fat dies mm-hmm. that fat becomes the scaffold mm-hmm. and has these signaling molecules to the bo- body that says hey gang we're supposed to make fat here get going make okay. fat so what you see is you see in many of these pro- types of procedures an initial plumping of the skin Mm -hmm. and that swelling and then that goes down and it's like, Oh, where'd all my nice plumping go? But then through this process of regenerative aesthetics, remodeling and developing, then the body will start making its own fat, or its own collagen, or its own elastin, and that's you know all in this category of regenerative aesthetics.
0: Mm-hmm. But going back a few decades, I mean peels were popular, and then they introduced lasers, which I think work in a, a similar way. Or am I mistaken?
1: Uh, uh, yes, and yes, and no, and yes, and no. I mean, a, a peel uh, in the hands of really good trained people is is wonderful for taking off pigment. Uh, for tone and texture, for some very fine lines. And it all, you know, if you think about a peel, it's like having a sheet, uh, and taking off all the layer, that entire layer of the skin. And it works fine as long as you don't scar, you don't burn, you don't get down too deep. And, and a skilled esthetician is very good at judging that. Then there are medical grade, uh, peels that, that really do get down into the dermis. But for the most part, what you're getting when you go a glycolic or a lactic acid, you're getting a peel that really affects the outer layers of the epidermis. Now, when we developed the Fraxel laser, um the paradigm was the same thing. We're going to take off, using a laser, uh-huh. this entire sheet of the face. And we pioneered fractional treatment. Fractional treatment being small columns of damage that penetrate into the skin, surrounded by a zone of unaffected uh, tissue. So the healing was very rapid. Uh, the uh, width of these little... Uh, fraxels was in effect it's the like
0: width. it's like an injury that prompts uh that stimulates uh regeneration exactly. right yeah exactly. like a little minor it's small, controlled it, injury right
1: yes and in which the non affected tissue can participate very quickly so uh and and these these holes quote unquote are about the width of a hair follicle so it's really this concept of pixelation, uh, fractional treatment uh, in which, and, and that really was a paradigm shift because you could provide a really great result uh, without the risk of hypopigmentation. So what you'd see in years before we had Fraxel, you'd go to Palm Springs, Palm Desert, and you would see uh, usually women in their – in the older years, uh, and they would have, wouldn't have a single wrinkle on their face and they would have this white alabaster look. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is if you went and, um, uh, took out the pigmentation layer, you got this white look. Mm-hmm. And then the other problem was, uh, potential scarring on the neck because yeah. the, the skin regenerates from the base of the hair follicle and there are very few hair follicles in the neck, particularly in women. So you could consistently, if you would do too much too aggressively, you could easily get a scar, scarring of the neck. Now, the other thing that I'm seeing these days, one of the dominant treatments is called microneedling RF. Yeah. And, you know, what it did was, you know, it's microneedling, which is a mechanical, controlled mechanical injury uh, and the consumers can use needles that are very small. Uh, professionals use them that go down deeper, that draw blood. And then what they did was they started insulating these, uh, needles and, pr- uh, passing RF, electrical current between them. Sure. So you got the epidermis disturbed. You've got the dermis impacted mechanically. And then you get a thermal wound to unravel the collagen and do this uh this collagen remodeling the new collagen production and that has been a uh, there have been pretty much most of the major uh laser companies have developed technology along those lines and um uh in general, <laughs> the other thing about a laser it's only as good as the person using it in this case it's not a yeah, laser it's yeah. uh, it's an RF uh, microneedling device uh, because, you know, you can get complications with anything. Yep. So I, I think that you really want to make sure that your people are well-trained, uh, that they're certified, that they, they've they got the experience. But that, that is a very popular – so now think about this, Ron. This is the trifecta you doing a laser procedure that's stimulating the skin. Maybe it's RF microneedling. Maybe it's a fractional treatment, or a halo, or whatever. It's a variety of, of devices. Then you are also using something like PRP or exosomes uh, to stimulate the skin. And on top of that, you are having a great diet, intelligent supplements, bringing all the the nutrients you need for, you know, collagen, the minerals, the, the vitamins, the amino acids. And you're supporting that with really good quality skincare. Skincare that is initially more protective because you want to protect the skin after you've had a procedure. Uh, you move that into antioxidants. Being delivered topically, and and we do know that that molecules like vitamin C, and like the heparan sulfate uh, that's found in in one of the products, we know that these molecules will get into the skin, and uh, that's what you want. Most molecules, you know, if you think about most of the products that are out there topically, uh, the vast majority of them just moisturize and hydrate. They just sit on the top of the skin and their barrier level. Uh, barrier layer uh protection. But there are ingredients that get into the skin where they do their work. And again, the the, the first one being vitamin C. But then you'll also see nice uh B3 in many preparations uh, for its calming soothing effect. You'll see that very often in rose in rose uh rosacea preparations. So there are there's inside out and outside in, and and the power really comes when we harness both approaches.
0: Yeah, all that is in the book, and uh, we, in, I'm sure in, in great detail. Uh, the book uh, is entitled uh, Let's see, <laughs> just, I just feed
1: your skin feed right your skin. with right being the most important word. Feed your skin right.
0: <laughs> and, and, and finally, I just want to. You're
1: always feeding you.
0: This, this it, it, what you just described, you know, sounds really promising, but it's a little overwhelming and obviously uh, expensive, and sort of elite skincare. Uh, is are there some? Basic suggestions for, you know, like kitchen cosmetics, you know, like applying coconut oil or manuka cream or, uh, you know, doing an avocado facial. Is there some, are there some bona fides to to things like that? Things that people can undertake uh, at home inexpensively and with some uh, scientific evidence? Uh,
1: Yes. Um, You know, I, my leaning and my bias is towards the half of the uh, uh topical business that provides the latest greatest scientific um uh ingredients scientifically based research ingredients mm-hmm. now increasingly we are seeing all, many of these products beginning to incorporate the antioxidants the vitamins and minerals but then if you go on the other side of the of the fence then you are you are talking about oils and natural oils that are great for the skin um and and there's there's a whole host of them and and all of them uh help protect help moisten uh you know the olive certainly is is an, is a great oil there is a marigold oil there are there's um even borage there's there's any number of them and i think that there are this is where we see many of the direct consumer brands, uh, making their, their play. Uh, and, it, and again, it is when do you use them and why do you use them? So at night, you know, your body can really do well with an oil, uh, with a, or a heavy moisturizer in the course of a day. I mean, if you're a man, you're, you know, you're gonna lean more towards with your beard and things, you're gonna lean more towards thinner serums that go on easier. And again, the sunblocks uh that are important. But there are some there are some really great products that uh that are supernatural. What one of them that's come to mind recently for me is using fermented mushrooms, oh. which I thought was just fascinating hmm. and uh, because they've got great antioxidant uh, hmm. uh abilities so we're seeing fermented um, things now and I'm a big fan of all things fermented and I'm sure you are too we if we ate more sauerkrauts and more kimchi hmm. and more f- pickled and fermented uh, uh, vegetables we feed our uh bacteria in our gut their preferred food so uh, my thought there is that you can look out, look for some of these that are, that are really interesting in, in that sense. They have a nice mixture of particularly mushrooms I'm seeing getting, really coming up these days.
0: Ed, this is it's fascinating, but I have to ask one final question. And that has to do with uh, a new category of uh, skincare, which is uh, probiotics for the skin. And then I promise this is the last question because you can read the book because there's a lot more uh, detail on all these subjects in Feed Your Skin, which is available from all the usual sources.
1: Yeah, so uh, if you – look, the gut has its own unique microbiome. So too does the skin. Mm -hmm. Just like we have different uh, microbiomes, different collections of bugs in our upper – GI tract versus our lower GI tract, so too do we have different uh, uh, collections of bugs in different areas on our face or our skin. So the, your armpit is different from your belly button, which is different from your neck, which is different from the uh, microbiome around your nose. Now, we've progressed a lot more in our understanding of the gut microbiome. We know less about the skin microbiome Although right now it is uh, an area of great research interest on, on the part of all the major topical companies are all exploring this. Our, our knowledge, you know, of the, the bifidos and the lactobacilli, is sort of just beginning. Uh, and the qu- other thing uh, has to do with the fact that, for the most part, when you apply a topical with a probiotic that or you take it a uh, probiotic you're not getting live bacteria you're getting uh, i mean if you take it into your gut your stomach acid destroys the bacteria if you're taking on your skin you're not getting live bacteria you're getting you're getting uh uh heat dried uh bacteria
0: that um
1: that do send messages and send signals remember but but there's there's got to
0: be some regulatory stuff about providing stuff in a jar that's like live bacteria that you know things can go wrong and yeah there
1: there are no yeah there are there are no live bacteria right there are no i mean what, what you're getting are you know heat stabilized uh bacteria that so uh so there's there's very little regulation, by the way, on topicals uh, to begin with. But so they, they are exploring this. Now, I still think the best way to change your skin microbiome is through your gut microbiome because the gut, the skin, and the brain, they're all talking to each other. And there are, for example, I think, you know, we mentioned earlier that there are probiotics, spore-based probiotics that you can take that uh, change the acetate. Uh, composite uh, amount in the skin. And that's very helpful for acne. Uh, everything that we take in in our gut will eventually be reflected one way or another in our skin. So I, I, I just don't think that we, we know enough. There are a few tests. Uh, there are companies out of the UK that are doing some, uh, skin testing where you take a little patch. Uh, you send out to this lab, uh, this skin patch. And they analyze the uh, your microbiome and then make supplement recommendations again. It's kind so of, it's kind of you're, like a
0: stool test for your for your skin, you know. Like. Exactly, but we're, we don't know as much about that yet. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. We
1: know a lot more about the stool test. We still don't we've been know doing
0: about,
1: it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, even there, we still. I'm I'm with you on that. So so it is an interesting area that I, I guess I my approach. I'm kind of simple about this. You can fix most of what is on your skin with your diet Mm -hmm. uh, and with intelligent supplementation. And then, you know, you've got a a basic category of topical skincare that has to include some measure of UV protection, uh, a a retinoid uh, to the extent that you tolerate it. Um, Antioxidants in the skin uh, are important uh, even we, you know, they have now topical nitric oxide also, which is mm. which is very interesting to me. Uh, also, there are some you know supplements. There are hormones, uh, uh, topical hormones, mm. or things that that promote hormone regulation. Uh, so I, I think you know again, I've tried to outline this all in the book in terms of you know what's a reasonable place to invest your time and money. Uh, you know I. I would leave your listeners with this: go to your bathroom vanity, go to the the cabinets, and look and see how much stuff you have to smear on your face. You will find products in you know that have been used for three, four squirts; others half used. Uh, all sorts of uh, topicals that have promised all sorts of things, but it, it, there are effective topicals um and you know you really need to to have a regimen that that makes sense again we're coming back to intelligence know why you're taking ser- supplements know why you need more of certain nutrients than other people know why and what seems to work best on your skin and then the procedures are you know, to the extent to which you're interested and willing and financially able, uh, I think there are some procedures again that are biostimulatory that are very good for the skin periodically. Uh, and then at some point having realistic expectations because there are folks who come in with, with some such deflation and sagging that and unrealistic expectations. You know, the only thing that really works there is surgery yep. for them to be uh, happy. So. So, I think that's the, the premise of Feed Your Skin Right, uh, helping people understand what to eat, what supplements to take, what topicals to apply, and what procedures that are right for them.
0: All right. Uh, the book must be good because it's uh, highly endorsed by some top uh, dermatologists. So, kudos to you. And, uh, you know, once again, you've demonstrated uh, that you are the master communicator of uh, medical and scientific facts that's kind of your mention no i'm
1: only i'm only half of the ron 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 i'm only half of the team this is so i i uh, I, I admire how you've carved out your niche and your role in being really the master communicator and in doing it for so long and it's always a pleasure for us to get together so thanks so much for having me
0: indeed so mark how do people best get in touch with you how can they uh, find out more about what you have to offer
1: yeah, I've got a personal site that's drtager.dartager.com. Uh they can hit me up on Instagram at @drmtager and professionals I encourage to reach reach out uh, on LinkedIn and I'm always pretty good about getting back to folks that way too.
0: All right, thanks Mark. Great stuff. Best of luck with the book. Thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.